0: Aloha. Welcome to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. As of today, November 1st, the death toll in the islands for people who have passed away from coronavirus is 916. Internationally, almost 5 million people in the last two years have passed away, and in the United States alone, over 745,000 people have died related to COVID. Today, we are going to be talking to the Director of Mission and Spiritual Care at Castle Adventist Hospital here in the islands, Sarah Mae Colon, and she's gonna help us to talk about a very difficult concept, particularly around the holidays, but very appropriate for November 1st, and that's bereavement. Sarah May, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, it's an honor to be here, so excited.
0: Now, when I think about the numbers, of people that we have lost. You know, it almost seems like recently we've become used to over the weekend, you know, ten deaths on Saturday, ten deaths on Sunday. It's almost like have we become somewhat immune to the numbers? I mean, I just wonder, Sarah May, here we are talking and almost a thousand people in the islands in the last twenty months have passed away from from the pandemic virus.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because now, you know, we're so used to hearing high numbers that when there's a handful, we're like, oh, phew, it's only a handful. But those are still people and communities that are affected by it. And I think it's it's just getting bizarre how we're starting to view numbers in this.
0: Well, I agree with the bizarre and the numbers. And I also wonder, you know, for each person who has lost a loved one, there's a whole process of grief that— in a lot of cases, this is something that no one would have expected, even mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago. No one would have anticipated we would be dealing with a pandemic to this degree. In the beginning of the pandemic, I don't think any of us truly understood how much of an effect this would have. What is the normal process that you you see people dealing with struggles in the hospital all the time? And there's a normal course of grief and bereavement, and then there's almost this, this accelerated amount of bereavement that I wonder if we as a society are suppressing a bit when we just look at these large numbers and just can't even conceptualize it. What's your experience with with bereavement in general? And how is the difficulties with COVID different?
1: Yeah, oh, man, there's so many things in there. Um, I think what's been so unique, especially for me in the hospital setting is, is that especially in a community where Ohana is everything, where Ohana can be your best friend and extended, um, it's getting more and more unique how people are learning to grieve and to focus on continuing to live even. And so even just within the hospital system, there's a lot of challenges of people being able to have their community rally around them and isolation and how that affects even, you know, their health journey. Um, But also on top of it, how do they even begin to process things that, The world doesn't understand. And so what COVID did is it stepped into people's spaces and made people feel like no one was safe and that there was no safe place to go. And then it took what people thrive off of, which is community, and kind of separates it a little bit as well. Because then it becomes like, oh, someone died. And the question becomes, well, did they die from COVID? And it's almost like a tallying of direction of hierarchy and death. But then on top of it, because the world has been so shut down in a lot of senses, um, people haven't been able to grieve in the proper order or a order that is comfortable to them because sometimes we have this thing called delayed grief, you know, where someone has passed away, but then it's like, well, no one can come visit until this time. And so then a year later, they're reopening a can of emotions and they're trying to figure out how to process it and to grieve properly or they're... um, doing it all at once in, like, 15-minute spurt when they get to spend time with their loved loved one. And so there's just a lot of challenges that come into it that are just so unique and different um, nowadays than it was before. You know,
0: it brings up a couple of things that you've just mentioned, that earlier in the pandemic, particularly when individuals were in the hospital, they weren't allowed to have any other people, no spouses, no companions, no children, no visitors. You know, there you were, literally dropped off at the front door in the emergency room, whether it be COVID or not. And if you're hospitalized, you're spending the next however long you need to all by yourself, alone, yeah. and as you mentioned, isolated. And if you had COVID, it was even more isolation in the hospital. Mm-hmm. People wear gowns and gloves and personal protective equipment, and it kind of feeds into that sense that you have of, you know, I'm I'm in some way, I'm dirty, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sick, I can't be around other people. And That lack of human touch is is a huge element, and we all know that in recovery, having that ohana and having that support is absolutely essential. I do see that that has definitely been missing, and they've Mm -hmm. tried, you know, definitely tried, but boy, you hear stories of family members saying goodbye on an iPad or over Zoom, and it just, it breaks my heart every time I hear that.
1: Yeah, and I know, you know, I'm with a lot of the healthcare providers, you know, and I know they work so hard to spend quality time that they can with each patient, but I mean, it becomes overwhelming at a point. And, you know, it's interesting, we didn't realize how often family members were helping patient care, you know, opening the milk carton, doing the little things that actually are very time consuming. And throughout this whole process, it's really fascinating to see how caring for people has shifted and how important time is and just one-on-one chats um, to feel human again. Uh, but yeah, it's been such a journey, at least in the healthcare system. And I know for people at home, um, the fear of COVID and the fear of a COVID death and a fear of not being able to grieve or rally the family to remember and celebrate. And then when it comes back around, it's almost like, how do we celebrate retroactive grief? Um, and it gets even more complicated at that point.
0: Sure. How do you commemorate the life of someone mm-hmm. when you can't get a family together to celebrate? And, yeah. you know, I know when they first started allowing for small groups of people in funerals, you know, how do you keep people from hugging one another? That's the normal human tendency. When you see someone in grief who's crying and upset that you want to put your arm around them, you want to hug them, you want to give them your support. And that physical touch was just it was prohibited. And, yeah. and that just creates such a barrier. I think that it's augmented the difficulty that people experience with yeah. this loss.
1: And how do you even tell someone they're not invited to their loved one's funeral? Like that's a whole other thing where so many people are like, I, you know, I'm the cousin, even though I was really close, I'm not the child And they're being told that they're not allowed to come and do the celebrations of lives, you know, because the family had to pick and choose who was able to be there. And sure, they broadcasted it or, you know, did Facebook Live or Instagram Live or something. But it's not the same when you're not able to come together and share story and be present with each other. Um, And so that's why I think a lot of people have put it off until we can. But there's so many unknowns and so many people just waiting. Um, I think it's affecting a lot of people on island.
0: And beyond, you know, there's there's Mm -hmm. people who are on the mainland, kids who can't come to see their parents because Mm -hmm. of travel restrictions or vice versa, you know, or parents who have passed away on the mainland and kids aren't able to go because of either concerns about quarantine or concerns Mm -hmm. about their kids not being able to be vaccinated and, and potentially being at risk and all sorts of all sorts of troubles. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Sarah Mae Cologne about what are the ways that we can help with some of the changes in the bereavement process so that we can all come to terms with some of the significant losses that we've had in our lives. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Sarah Mae Colon on the line. She is a chaplain and the Director of Mission and Spiritual Care at Castle Adventist Hospital right here on Oahu. Right before the break, we were talking about some of the significant challenges that have occurred related to the pandemic and how the loss of loved ones creates a whole different level of grief and bereavement and loss that is harder to celebrate or harder to commemorate or harder to deal with because of some of the challenges of being in a situation where there's a pandemic and infections. Now, you know, we've talked about all the negative aspects, uh, Sarah May, and, and that's certainly absolutely true. What are some of the things we can do to acknowledge it? I mean, I sometimes think to myself, boy, if the death toll is almost a thousand people, that's a lot of individuals that we may not have expected to lose so quickly in the last 20 months or so. What can we do to help our loved ones or to help our friends and family or our ohana to deal with the loss of some of their loved ones? For those who know somebody who's passed away from COVID or know of a family member who is struggling, what can we do to help?
1: Yeah, I actually really love that question. I wish I had the brilliant one-liners or all of the resources to hand everyone. But I think one of the things that I've noticed the most about grief and death and just loss in general is that we don't talk about it. Therefore, it becomes even heavier and even more exhausting and scary And so one of the things I really encourage people to do is to talk about it, to talk about their loved ones, to carry on the joy factor of the life that was lived. And for those that are sick or not sick yet, have those conversations ahead of time so that way the weight of planning and of life isn't as exhausting for them. But one of the beautiful things is that when we're talking with people and when we're sharing about people, even if they're no longer physically with us, there's so much beauty in life that comes from learning from those people um, what their narrative was what the, they were super passionate about or what they were really weird with. Um, and carrying on those conversations helps keep a story alive and keeps that memory alive and helps people grieve because now they feel like they can talk about it. I know a lot of people in my grief groups often say, like, I, I'm always scared that people are going to feel like I'm not capable of talking about something else, so I don't talk about it, or they think I'm stuck, so I don't talk about it. But the reality is this is someone that's significant to them, and it's really important for them to be able to talk about them and to celebrate them, to miss them, um, and to share about them. And I think the more we do, uh, I think life gets a little bit easier and more beautiful because we learn about those people in the past. And I, I tell people all the time, my job as a chaplain is actually super fun, even though it's really heavy sometimes. And the reason is, is because I get to step alongside people and jump into moments with them. Um, you know, I, I categorize my job as like a time traveler job. So I get to jump into times and spaces I don't deserve to be in necessarily with people in the most heavy, exhausting moments of their lives or as they're just losing someone that they care about. And I get to step into those sacred spaces that only best friends and immediate family get to be in. And I get to hear about the beauty of the person that is there. And I get to learn all about the best qualities of them, about the weird things that they thought were funny, about all these beautiful things. And it helps me live better each day. And so I think if, as a community, we were more curious and asked more questions and heard about people that maybe not physically with us anymore, we get to experience more life through that. And it helps people as they grieve and as they grow and as they continue through trying to figure out how to keep moving forward.
0: Well, and you brought up a really good suggestion, which is, you know, don't be afraid to ask about their loved one. Yeah. Because from the grief group, you described that people are almost afraid to bring it up. And I know that... You know, sometimes people may be afraid to ask. If you have yeah. a friend who lost somebody who was who important to them, you may want to try and be optimistic and positive and make them see all these wonderful things going on in the world when, in fact, they need to sit in that space of grief and be okay yeah. and have you create that space for them so that they don't have to feel as though it's a burden or that they need to hide it. Yeah, Absolutely. So all of us could feel free to ask the question, how are you doing really? Or I was just thinking about, you know, your husband who you lost and remembering how much he meant to you and then just mm -hmm. opening up that conversation to let them know it's safe and it's okay for them to
1: engage and be sad if they need to be, but still talk about it. Or even asking, you know, you know, what is one of the things that reminds you of him the most, you know, lately? And then they get to share their story about they went on a walk and they saw someone walking a dog and it looked like their husband they even had the same mannerisms. And they get to tell someone that story as opposed to holding it in and not wanting to tell people because they don't want people to think they're crazy or too grief stricken to have a conversation with.
0: Well, and I love the fact you said the <laughs> the dog reminded him of the husband. Hmm. That, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, truthfully, that that will bring out some humor at the same time. But, yeah, you know, beautiful. it's it's OK to laugh. I think that's the other thing is that life is full of challenges and everyone will lose someone at some point. And, you know, it's it's a challenge and everybody's been through it and can help support one another and find those spaces to to allow for laughter amidst grief and also honor the person who has passed. That's yeah. absolutely an essential. Now. Are grief groups something that are common, and, and how do people engage in such a thing if they, feel it's, if they feel it's something they want to participate in?
1: That's a great question. I think grief groups are becoming more common, but also resources can be limited. I think the beauty of grief groups is, is that there is a commonality in the room. So you're allowed to say, I still can't sleep at night because of this, and it's been three years. Or you can still say those things and people don't think you're a broken record. Instead, they're like, yeah, me too. That happened to me last week. Here's how I'm coping. Here's my coping skills. Here's what made me laugh this week. And there's this weird understanding, underlying tone in those grief groups that open up a conversation and a safety space for people that maybe don't have family or friends that think they should still be where they're at. It helps them process and keep moving through because grief isn't timed. You can't. You can't say, like, here's a 10-week plan. Um, Some people have the ability to move through at least the conversation a little bit quicker than others. um, And it's not even necessarily a good thing. Sometimes they're just shoving it down and they're like, I don't have time to deal with this. Um, But sometimes it takes a really long time, and sometimes it never really goes away. And I think that's a misconception. People think grief and bereavement just disappears one day. You get better. But the reality is you reframe how to live with it and you get stronger and wiser and you find beauty in the narrative of the thing you've lost or the person you've lost. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think grief groups are really helpful for a lot of people. Uh, There's several resources on an island. I, I typically just go to the Kakuamau website and <laughs> look and see which groups are active just because during COVID things have sh- fluctuated a lot and they keep it pretty updated or different um communities have different ones available so I would just check what's available in your community and see if there's any support for grief
0: well and you brought up the idea of normalizing the experience you know somebody who Mm -hmm. says I couldn't sleep the other night and someone else who says you know what me too The idea that you're not alone. I think for a lot of us, if we have a weird experience, we're often looking to our cohort of friends or family to say, did that that happen to you too? And wondering, you know, I think a lot of people as get older in age, they're always comparing, does your knee still work? Are you taking medicine for your heart? I mean, there's this general comparison that happens as we age, but also to normalize the idea that yes, I'm still experiencing grief and There's not a time limit. I love the fact that you brought that up. You know, the other thing that I think has been really interesting through the pandemic has been the accessibility, if you are Internet savvy, of looking at things like groups that are available throughout the U.S. You know, now there's I had one patient very early in the pandemic who told me something amazing and sort of technology shame to me at the same time, which is actually not that hard to do. And she said she learned how to join AA meetings on Zoom internationally around the world. And her goal was to go to any English-speaking AA meeting in the world. And I went, wow. And she's like, I know how to dial internationally and not pay a dime. And I'm like, I don't even know how to use Zoom. Are you kidding? So I've gotten a little better at Zoom. So now now I can do it a little bit. But she amazed me. And she said, you know, the accessibility For different types of support groups, whether it be cancer support group or a grieving group or whether it be an Alcoholics Anonymous group, that some of the transformative power of having the accessibility over the internet really helped her to look at different modalities that she could seek for assistance that she might not otherwise have had the gumption or initiative to go ahead and take a look at. It was an interesting education for me, but you know, she was almost twice my age, and she's doing <laughs> fabulous with technology. It was pretty uh, pretty incredible. So yep. I think looking at the website, but also just considering your options. If your loved one passed away in the middle of Pennsylvania, then you might find a group that is in the middle of Pennsylvania, and there yeah. you go. There's a way to join that as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the one of the coolest things that has happened in the world is is that we've figured out how to communicate across land masses. And so the world has gotten smaller in some senses, but also bigger um, and there's so much opportunity out there. And I know I get calls all the time, actually, from the mainland to join my grief group. And I'm like, you know, you have like 900 where you live, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you're welcome. But it's it's just amazing um, that there are so many resources out there. I think it just gets overwhelming sometimes, too, for people.
0: Um, well, and I was definitely technology overwhelmed in the beginning. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And when we come back on The Body Show, we are going to continue our discussion with Sarah May Cologne, uh, the Director of Mission and Spiritual Care at Castle Adventist Hospital. And we're going to talk some more about ways that we can all assist with the concept of bereavement because the, the death toll is not going down. And we are, unfortunately, still dealing with the COVID pandemic. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Sarah May Colon on the line from Castle Adventist Hospital. She's a chaplain and director of Mission and Spiritual Care. And today, November 1st, we are talking about those who have passed. It is, for some folks, All Souls Day, and certainly for all of us, we are aware of the pandemic affecting the lives of pretty much everyone worldwide. Almost 5 million people in the last, over 5 million in the last two years, have passed away secondary to the COVID pandemic. In the United States alone, over 745,000, and here in the islands, 916 as of today. So we've been talking about ways in which we can help one another to commemorate those who have passed and some of the struggles that have occurred due to the coronavirus pandemic on our process of grief and bereavement. And Sarah May, I'm curious, when you're dealing now in the hospital setting with folks who unfortunately are still affected by the COVID pandemic, have you seen any any change in the way in which family members have been reaching out or trying to deal with losses, not just of their loved one, but also of their livelihood, of their lifestyle, of their support, of their family in general, of their ability to get together and collectively support one another?
1: Yeah, I think it's been kind of growing and shifting throughout the last couple years. And one of the things I want to say is, is you know, there's so many intense numbers out there. And they're so overwhelming and sometimes terrifying. And one of the things that I think is interesting is, is that we get fixated on those numbers. So then when you feel like you're becoming a number or one of your loved ones is becoming a number, there's a different kind of emotion that happens as well. Um, and people try to justify that almost as they talk and figure out how to grieve. Um, so there's a fascination there in a whole in how people even view death uh, when they're coming to the hospital, whether it be a covid death um, or a more traditional death, whichever version of it, people try to justify it and try to put it in a category now where before it was, I'm so sorry, you lost your loved one. The question wasn't, Oh, they had COVID. Were they vaccinated? You know, and I think part of the community doesn't know how to process that. But talking about that is, is I think a lot of the families then because of the fear, because of the unknowns at the beginning of the pandemic, they weren't allowed to be able to be present with their loved ones, at least most of the time, um, barring maybe a few of them for a few minutes. And it, it sped up conversations and intentional moments. So those beautiful, sacred moments that family used to get, that they'd be able to share with the rest of the family, like I was able to sit with them and we talked story and we cried and we read this thing together or whatever it might be, those memories and those things no longer are happening the same way. Now, a lot of hospitals have a policy of no one dies alone and complete communication with family and trying to make sure that the patients are never fully alone and that they have the support and at least the, the voice of their loved one nearby. Uh, but I think it's changing how the dynamics of family and community happens and even those end-of-life memories that help get people through the really tough times later. Um, those are shifting. And, again, I think it's also accidentally creating hierarchies within communities as well. Like you're allowed to go see them. Because only one person's allowed. And it's it's creating these interesting conversations as people are learning to grieve in this new form. But now we're getting to a point, I think, where because there is a vaccine, because there's a little bit more understanding about COVID, we're able to figure out better ways of mediating the family dynamics and grief in the hospital setting.
0: Well, and you brought up, again, a super good point, which you've done throughout the show. But Take away the judgment. Yeah. You know, when you hear that someone has lost someone, the first question or the first response may need to be, I'm so sorry that you've lost your loved one. Yeah. Not, was it COVID? Were they vaccinated? Because even just saying those things is kind of the natural human tendency to say, well, why weren't they? Or, well, okay, if it wasn't COVID, thank God for that, right? I mean, just Mm -hmm. this idea that there's a judgment on that. And I think. Yeah.
1: And we're fixated on those numbers. We're we're like, oh, is that one of the numbers I saw on the news today? As opposed to, I'm so sorry that you just lost your mom or your best friend.
0: Yeah. Let go of the numbers. Because you're right. Mm -hmm. None of us want to be that number, nor do we want our loved one to just be considered a number. Mm -hmm. And it means so much more. A a human life just has a much greater, richer accounting of time spent interacting with loved ones and and the whole entire community that they belong to, that it is much more than just, did they have COVID? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think those conversations, helping people realize that death is hard no matter what, but death is also extremely hard right now because of the stigmas attached to it or the still unknowns, or yes, the family being on the mainland and not being able to get over here in any time to even see their loved one. And I think it's just grief is being shaped differently. And I think grief now is not just the loss of someone. It's the loss of health. It's the loss of freedom. It's the loss of um, understanding how the world works, you know. And so people are grieving in so many different forms that when actual loss of life happens, it's almost like their brain short circuits Because they're like, I can't do one more thing, you know. I can't figure this one out. You know, I'm bare, I just figured out grocery shopping, you know, or whatever it may be. And so just the dynamic around grief and bereavement and learning to live with loss is, is all being reshaped as we go forward.
0: So we have just a couple of minutes left. Mm-hmm. Things that we can recommend that people do, I think— You've clearly illustrated that we need to be sensitive to one another's needs and not necessarily ask questions that could be perceived as number-driven or judgmental when we hear someone has lost a loved one. And you've also brought up the idea of giving one another space to talk about the situation and the person that was lost and not being afraid to bring their name up or to acknowledge the loss and hold space for someone to be sad for a while and not not come up with the platitudes of you'll be better at some point, you'll, quote, get over it. I think you're right. You mentioned it's not good at getting over it, but learning to live with that Mm -hmm. process of of grieving and the loss of what what they were used to, which includes that other person or whatever their usual activities have been.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think... One of the things I talk about a lot, and it's partially because I'm so dreadful at it, is self-care and coping skills. Figure out the things that bring you joy and ground you and bring you hope and peace and write those down. Because when you're in a dark space, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when the world is spiraling, it's really hard to remember what brought you joy. It's really hard to remember how to have coping skills or how to take care of yourself. And so figuring out those little things that bring you joy, whether it be buying fruity lattes and sitting under a coconut tree and people watching, or whether it be going on a hike or swimming, whatever it may be, find those things that release the tension in your brain and in your heart, because then everything becomes more bearable and you have a little bit more resilience and strength. And the other thing is give yourself grace. This, nothing makes sense right now. And I think so many people are trying to be logical, and that's a beautiful thing. And it's really hard to be logical when every day is new information, right? So give yourself grace, give the people around you grace and help them realize that they are celebrated and loved and listen to their stories and ask questions and dig deep in the support side to make sure that we're able to be a community that lifts each other up instead of shuts people down.
0: I love the idea of creating joyful moments. Yep. Maybe write them down, put them in a jar, create a little joy jar of things you can do when you need it the most. I really appreciate you sharing with us your experiences, Sarah Mae, and, and helping us all to handle grief and bereavement just a tiny bit better than we might have otherwise. So if you want to hear more about what bereavement options are available to you, you can always go to uh, www.kukumau.org. That's kokuama dot Thank you again for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That was Sarah Mae Cologne from CASEL, the Director of Mission and Spiritual Care. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org, or on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week, right here on The Body Show. Woo!